Hi, this is Dr. Demento, and you're listening to On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 41 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm Brian Zemrak. Welcome to the show. And this week, our guest is the famed radio host, Dr. Demento. That's right. He's played some of the funniest novelty songs over the past 39 years on his show, and he's launched the career of Weird Al Yankovic and so much more. And that'll be coming up later on in the show, so hope you'll stick around for that. Um, I also want to remind you that uh, you can check out our past episodes of On, of on Screen and Beyond uh, at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we have such guests as comedian John Biner, the reunion of the Porky's Guys featuring Wyatt Knight and Dan Monahan, and Taylor Lautner of Twilight, which we have two different episodes with him. And it's all at onscreenandbeyond.com. Go to our past uh, episodes or uh, past podcast uh, reruns, and it's right there. And let's see, what else we got to tell you about? Also in April, we'll be featuring our annual summer movie preview, where we'll give you a roundup of all the big movies coming your way in the summer. So you listen to that, and we'll give you an idea what's coming out if you don't know. Also in April, we will be heading to California for the California Independent Film Festival, and we hope you'll all join us there. So that's about it for now, but we got to get going because coming up next, we have... Remake Madness, coming your way right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Well, as far as Remake Madness, the land that time forgot. Now, I just happened to watch that today before I did the show, and uh, it starred Doug, Doug McClure. It was a 1975 movie. They are heading that one toward Remake Madness. It'll uh, feature C. Thomas Howell, who is... Uh, been a past guest on On Screen and Beyond, and like I said, you can check it out on our podcast reruns page at onscreenandbeyond.com, and the movie, The Land the Time Forgot, was originally made in 1975, like I said, and it was uh, made from the Edgar Rice Burroughs novel, and uh, it's also going to feature Timothy Bottoms, and they're saying that it's going to come out later this year, so we'll find out what happens on that one. And uh, the man who directed Knowing, which is out in theaters right now, is working on a remake of the film called The Tripods. It's set in the future, and it's a future that is run by three-legged aliens. And it's uh, in the early stages right now, so we'll keep you informed on that. And that's about it for remakes. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, find out what's coming at you as far as upcoming movies, rumored and otherwise, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming movies, well, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know him, the wrestler, he's slated to star in a new movie called The Stranger. It's an action thriller, and he's probably going to throw some people around, I wouldn't doubt that. Uh, also, a movie called Nonstop is in the works, it's about an airplane that is abducted by aliens, and it's coming at you from DreamWorks. And Warner Brothers has a new action-adventure movie in the works called Methuselah. It's based on the character in the Bible who lived for a thousand years. And Dennis Quaid will star as Bill Clinton in the special relationship. That's the name of the movie. And it's about Prime Minister of Britain, 
uh, Tony Blair and President Clinton that was set in the 90s. And that's about it for upcoming movies. Coming up next, Sequel City, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Well, as far as Sequel City, it looks like the Transformers 3 is in the planning stages. Of course, 2 hasn't come out, uh, but uh, we are uh, in the early stages of uh, what's going on with that. They don't have a writer yet, but uh, we'll keep you informed on it. Tom Cruise says he's working on another sequel to Mission Impossible. This would be the fourth one, and uh, it's going to be the fourth time he's heading out as, uh, you know, the head of Mission Impossible. And that's about it for sequels for now. Coming up next, TV on DVD, right here on Screen and Beyond. TV on DVD, well, this is a a couple here that are are in the works, and dates are not definite, but uh, this is what they're talking about. It seems The Lucy Show, the first season, may be coming to DVD in late July or early August. We'll keep you updated on that as it unfolds. And also with Lucille Ball, Here's Lucy, the first season, is in the planning stages of being released on DVD. Nothing definite yet, but we'll keep you in on that one. Now, that can be confusing because there was uh, I Love Lucy, there was The Lucy Lucy Show, there was Here's Lucy. So she she did a lot of different ones, so it's going to get confusing with those. But um, The Lucy Show, first season, and Here's Lucy, the first season, are both rumored to be coming out this year. And let's see, July 7th, Season 10 of Murder, She Wrote with Angela Lansbury comes to DVD on a five-disc set. And the seventh season and the final season of The Shield hit stores on June 9th. That's about it for TV on DVD. Coming up next, Movies on DVD, right here on On Screen and Beyond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, as far as movies on DVD, Emma Thompson and Dustin Hoffman in Last Chance Harvey comes to DVD on May 5th. Um, May 19th, Paul Blart, Malkov, jumps from the theaters to DVD, and it stars Kevin James. And the funny thing about that is that is still in theaters right now. Um, so it's getting very close, but the movie is so popular, they've been keeping it in theaters. So uh, that is the date it's supposed to be coming out. Uh, we'll see if that happens. It, it may still be in theaters by then. Who knows? Uh, let's see. One other thing. On June 2nd, Defiance with Daniel Craig arrives in DVD. It's a story set in World War II. That's about it for movies on DVD. Coming up next, we're going to be talking with none other than Dr. Demento. It's a, He is one crazy guy and a great person to talk to. And that's coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Our guest today on On Screen and Beyond has been bringing some of the zaniest songs ever made into the homes of people everywhere for the last 39 years. 
He has a prescription for you and your funny bone. He's Dr. Demento. Welcome to the show, Dr. Demento. Woo-woo! Wind up your radio! <laughs> How you doing? Oh, real fine. How about yourself? Great, great. It's an honor to speak to you. I've, I've been listening to you for so many years. All right, nice to talk with you. Before we get into everything about how you started and everything, how did you come up with the name Dr. Demento? Uh, credit where credit's due. Uh, it was one of my fellow radio personalities who came up with that, a fellow who called himself the obscene Stephen Clean. Uh, we were both on the, uh, he was on the staff of KPPC in Pasadena. This was 1970. We'd known each other for a year or two, and uh, uh, he started inviting me to bring some of my records uh, as a guest on his show, and it was well received. There was lots of uh, telephone action whenever I came in, uh, so he decided it should be a regular feature of his show every Thursday night. Uh, and at that point, he started calling me. Just uh, it was out of the blue, as far as I was concerned. He started introducing me on the air as Doctor Demento, <laughs> and it stuck. Yeah. <laughs> it turned out that he, sometime before, had had a conversation with Peter Wolf, a musician who best uh, known for his work with the Jay Giles Band. Right. Yeah. Uh, he was a friend of Stevens, and and they had been talking about. Uh, Oh, funny things they'd like to do with radio, and Stephen, uh, apparently it was Peter Wolf who said, uh, why don't you bring on a guy who knows everything about music and call him Dr. Demento? <laughs> and uh, apparently when Stephen met me, he decided that I was Dr. the Dr. Demento that they had been thinking of. <laughs> so but that's basically how it started. It might have been uh, kicked off by... A, a comment that uh, one of the staffers of the station made on one of my early guest appearances. Something to the effect of, you got to be demented to play that. <laughs> well, they have a point there. Some of the songs... <laughs> so anyway, I've, I've now trademarked the name. It's mine. Ah, yeah. Now, have you always been interested in novelty songs? Uh, along with other things. I mean, I can trace my interest in novelty songs back to when I was four years old. And uh, my dad brought home uh, 78 RPM record of Cocktails for Two by Spike Jones, yep. which, which was actually new at the time. <laughs> That'll give you an idea of how far back I go. Right. So uh, I remember that made quite an impression on me. Uh, my dad eventually brought home a number of other Spike Jones records. Hmm. Uh, and, and so that was some of the first funny music that I heard. Uh, my mother would listen to Arthur Godfrey on the radio, as did uh, millions of people in the 40s. Uh, and uh, he would play the occasional funny song. So that, that was kind of how I got introduced to musical humor. Hmm. Uh, yeah. But there were always other things I liked, too. My, my parents were mostly classical music fans, so they had a lot of that on records. Yeah. yeah. So I was exposed to that from a very early age. And uh, then by, uh, by the time I got into uh, sixth grade, I found a, a store near my school that sold records that had been taken off jukeboxes for 19 cents. Wow. So I could afford to buy a few of those on my allowance, whereas new records were, I, I could only buy the ones I really, really liked. Yeah. But uh, 19 cents, I could start expanding my collection. Then, uh, seventh grade, I found the Salvation Army store, which sold older records for a nickel. <laughs> so I could... Uh, spend a dollar in there and come out with 20 records and so through a, a lot of trial and error I found many genres of older music that I really enjoyed. Yeah. 
Now, now you must have a collection unreal. Oh, it's uh, a quarter million or more, uh, counting wow. all the trash and treasures, all shapes and sizes and, and speeds and everything. Jeez, that's unreal. I mean, I, I have a lot, but I, I don't come close to that. <laughs> because people are always sending me stuff in the mail. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, for a long time, I was getting like uh, 20 or so CDs a week, and I still get quite a few, though now... In many cases, instead of sending me a CD, they'll uh, send me an email and say, would you uh, look at my uh, MySpace? Or, or they'll just email me a song or two as attachments. So mm -hmm. that's, how a lot of, that's how we get a lot of our stuff these days. So they're all novelty that people are sending you like that? Well, most of the time. I mean, there are some people who aren't quite clear on the concept and will send me something that where there's really nothing funny about it. Or maybe they thought it was funny. Or Yeah. They just don't get they don't get what you do, right? Now this this week I got several songs about the economic situation, and uh, most of them are just depressing. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot that needs to be said, but I'm not quite the person whose show is going to say things that are just depressing. Yeah. yeah. Now, were you always, uh, you know, from a young age, were you set on okay, I want to be on the radio and I want to play these, uh, you know, novelty type songs? Oh no, no. Uh, not at all, really. I mean, the radio held fascination for me. I used to pretend to be a disc jockey. But uh, I really, through high school and college, I really saw myself more as being uh, a college professor or, or a teacher of some kind. Mm -hmm. That's where I thought I was going to make my career. In which field? In music? Probably music. Yeah. I mean, that one time I had some thoughts of doing it uh, in English. But uh, it was probably going to be music most of the time. Hmm. Uh, so I, I uh, went to Reed College in Portland, Oregon, uh, and majored in music, classical music. Mm -hmm. Because this was the early 60s, and uh, uh, that was really still the only kind of music, uh, well, maybe outside of jazz, that was really taken seriously. Folk music was starting to come on strong, though. And by the time I graduated from Reed, folk music was getting to be more and more of a, a topic that people did take seriously, although there was lots of funny folk music, too. And uh, UCLA, in uh, the early 60s, established a master's program in folk music studies. So that's what brought me to UCLA and to Los Angeles, where I've lived ever since. Hmm, it's interesting. Yeah. So uh, that's how that came to be. Uh, I kind of put my radio ambitions on the back burner, even though I'd done a lot of radio in college, uh, I was the student manager of the college radio station, I kind of put that on the back burner in order to get involved with uh, the academic study of folk music. I thought that was tremendously exciting. However, there were various distractions that wound up turning my career around a couple of times. Uh, one of them was, in the 1960s, Los Angeles was just a tremendously exciting place for pop music. Mm -hmm. Lots of the folk musicians that I came to know after I got here uh, were turning around and making careers in, in pop music, folk rock, as they often called it. Yeah. And so there were musicians that I'd see at the folk clubs, and then the next thing I knew, they were playing electric guitars, and I, I found much of this new electric music very exciting, so... Wound up uh, being briefly a roadie for a couple of bands and uh, had thoughts of being a record producer, a la Phil Spector or George Martin, mm -hmm. Rattler, etc. I had read that you were a roadie for Canned Heat? That's right. Wow. Yeah, that was one of the 
the groups of people who I first knew as folk musicians who uh, who went electric. Yeah. So yeah, I I was not a roadie for them for a long time, but enough to have some experience doing that, to going on the road and uh, staying in lousy motels with cockroaches <laughs> all the life of a, a band that hasn't quite made it big yet. Yeah. Oh, so this was before they were they had hit it big. Yeah, right. Well, they were on their way up. They were they were certainly getting noticed, but they hadn't made it yet at the time that I was a roadie. Yeah. Uh, by the time that happened, I had decided to go back to UCLA and finish my master's. I, I, I had it like three-fourths of the way done, and I thought, well, I, I should at least get it done and see where it might take me. That wound up actually getting me a job with a company called Specialty Records. Mm -hmm. uh, the owner of that company noticed what I had been doing at UCLA, looked at my thesis, and uh, called me, had lunch with me, and offered me a job working for Specialty Records. Specialty was a label that had started in the 1940s, and uh, for many years they were among the top rhythm and blues and gospel labels in the country. Wow. They're probably best remembered for the original hits by Little Richard, Oh. Rudy, Long Tall Sally, yeah. Good Golly Miss Molly, those were all specialty records, at least the original versions of them were. Wow. So uh, they decided uh, in 1969, to 68 rather, to uh, kind of revive the company and put out a bunch of albums of their older material. So they decided after looking at my thesis that uh, I was somebody who could, who, who could do that work, and I wound up working for them for three years and assembling 35 albums, hmm. some of which are still available uh, in CD. And what type of music was was it that you were... Uh, rock and roll, Little Richard. Yeah. Uh, rhythm and blues, people like Roy Milton and, and Joe Liggins, who had been very popular in the 40s. Mm -hmm. uh, what actually sold the best was, was the gospel music. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the Soul Stirrers with uh, Sam Cooke before he became a pop star. Wow. And uh, the Pilgrim Travelers. Uh, the Swan Silvertones, uh, groups that had been among the leaders in gospel music in the, 19, the early 1950s. That was kind of their peak. And they decided uh, to try putting out albums, and they found that uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, there was still, oh, well, not a gigantic market, but a, enough of a market for albums of this 50s gospel music uh, to make it profitable. So that's uh, a, lot of, a lot of my job was involved with that. Hmm. But meanwhile, while I was working for Specialty, came the meeting with the obscene Stephen Clean. He was his real name, Stephen Siegel. Yeah. And uh, which led to my being a guest on his show at KPBC, uh, starting in October 1970, and then a regular staff member of KPBC, starting in the spring of 71, as Dr. Demento. Now that show, the Dr. Demento show, actually started out not as the comedy show that it is today. Comedy was always a part of it, but just a little, a little part when I started. It was mostly obscure old records from the early days of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. There were, at that time, you know, a lot of that stuff hadn't been reissued yet. I mean, now you can buy hundreds, if not thousands, of CDs. Right. And practically all the significant music from the roots of rock and roll has been reissued somewhere or another. Mm -hmm. But that was certainly not true back then. So I had all these records that uh, were pretty much unavailable and a lot of people had never heard. 
but uh, which uh, contributed in one way or another to the growth of rock and roll. Even some of the, the hits from the 50s were getting kind of hard to find by 1970. Yeah. So so I play those two. I, I play uh, the original blues versions of songs that the Rolling Stones had covered. Or I would play early records by people who later became famous. Uh, now in 1970, about the hottest artist there was was Sly Stone. Yeah. Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, by the time he made it big, uh, Sly had been recording already for eight years hmm. doing a variety of different kinds of music before he hit on that funky stuff that uh, really went over big yeah uh, his, his, the first records i know of that he was on uh he and his brother were the stewart brothers and uh, they sounded like the coasters wow doing kind of novelty songs yeah they weren't quite as good as the coasters but uh, they were kind of entertaining huh uh, and definitely in that style so uh, that's an example of what would get played on the, the early versions of the Dr. Demento show. <laughs> but I'd open the phone to requests, and I found, more often than not, what people really asked for was funny stuff. You know, I'd play the one or two novelty records on every show, and people wanted to hear more like that. They wanted to hear the Purple People Eater or the Monster Mash or they're coming to take me away, ha-ha, the yeah. <laughs> uh, Songs that were maybe uh, 5, 10, 15 years old at that time, but uh, uh, you have to remember that uh, in the early 70s, when my show began to take off, rock had turned rather serious. There weren't very many novelty shows novelty songs on the top 40 anymore. Right. Instead, uh, well, the Beatles, for instance, had gone from I Want to Hold Your Hand to Abbey Road. They were making albums that were considered works of art. Right, yeah. And you have a group like uh, Pink Floyd. Wonderful music, but it's very serious. Mm-hmm, yeah. With the exception of just a couple of tracks, Pink Floyd's music is as serious as a symphony. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's kind of that was kind of where rock music was going at that time. But I think I think some people missed the funny stuff. And so uh, people would call and finding that I had a lot of records like that and wasn't the least bit afraid to play them, that's what they requested on, on the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the funny stuff gradually took over the show. By 1972, when I moved over to another station, KMET in Los Angeles, uh, the show, the Dr. Demento show, is 90% funny stuff. Yeah. What happened next was that some of the younger people, especially in the audience, uh, started listening to what I was doing and doing funny songs that they would make up themselves. And, of course, the most celebrated of those uh, was uh, a kid who started me sending stu- started sending me stuff beginning in 1976, uh, uh, then 16-year-old Alfred Yankovic, <laughs> yeah. of Linwood, California, another suburb of Los Angeles. So I got my first tape from him in 1976, a song called Belvedere Cruising, all about uh, driving around the streets of uh, his little suburb in the family car, which was a 1964 Plymouth Belvedere. Hmm. He wrote a song called Going Belvedere Cruising Tonight, and uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> Not as good as what he would do later, but uh, at that time, you know, he put words and music together really nicely. Was he doing the accordion? 
Yeah, he was playing the accordion. Yep. <laughs> that by itself was something that caught my ear. Right, yeah. So uh, Al's career developed oh, kind of slowly at first. Uh, he went to college and became a, uh, a DJ on his college station, like I had been. And meanwhile, his music was gradually getting better and more proficient. And uh, by trial and error, like uh, most of us, he came up with something real good. Yeah, he's... And uh, so, by 1980, he was starting to be the most popular artist on my show, and then uh, a couple years after that, he got signed to a label, and uh, uh, it just so happened that he kind of uh, started reaching his professional peak at the same time that MTV was first coming on the air. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he was able to make a video of a song from his first album that was very popular on MTV, and uh, then second album had Eat It on it, which uh, really made him a household word. Yeah. Now, you've appeared in several of his videos, haven't you? Oh, yes. Had you ever met him personally uh, oh, yeah. when you were playing it? Did he come to bring him to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, after I'd been playing his stuff for maybe six months, uh, I invited him to come down to the studio. I just wanted to see what this guy was like. Yeah. So he came in a good many times. Uh, I mean, uh, Whenever he was home from college, he would uh, come in at least once a month and join my phone-answering crew that I had in those days. Hmm. Uh, and that lasted pretty much until he signed with a label and, and started really making a professional career out of it. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, you've also helped out some other people the one song that everybody listens to every year is uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer by Elmo and yeah. Patsy. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, one of the first to play that. I, I may have been the first to play it on a syndicated show. We're, we're, we're not really positive about that, but I was very close to the beginning on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, 1979, which was, uh, oh, three. That, that's another one that was a little bit of a hit at first, but, but it would get bigger every Christmas. Until yeah. The, until the mid-80s, it finally reached a peak. Yeah, I mean, that, you hear that every year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I hardly uh, play it anymore just because you know, it's been around for so long. It's, uh, you know, everybody knows it by now. Right, and everybody's playing it. It's not just, you know, specialty programs. It's everybody. Yeah, that's been played so much that it's not shocking anymore. Right. When it first came out, it, it, it startled people. Right. It was often thought to be in very poor taste. Yeah. But now it's now things have changed. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, now another one, Barnes and Barnes fish heads. Right. Did they send that to you, no. or how did that come about? And, well, and did you know that it was Bill Mooney who was Will on Lost in Space? First. Not at first. No. Uh, they, they first sent me. Uh, it's just you know, it's by this time I was getting well, CDs weren't around yet, but I was getting like fifteen, twenty tapes either cassettes or real tapes mm -hmm. in the mail every week which which i'd listen to and uh barnes and barnes i had no idea who they were and, and uh 
the, the, the letter with the first one didn't say it was just from Barnes and Barnes. Yeah. And uh, they had they gave a P.O. box and that's where it came from. Hmm. The first one they sent me was called the Vomit Song. <laughs> well, the KMET gave me freedom in a number of ways, but they did kind of have a thing about songs about noxious bodily. <laughs> so we'd we'd had discussions about very similar things before. So mm -hmm. I wrote them back and said, uh, the, I like the vomit song, but I really can't play it. Do you have anything else? Yeah. Two weeks later, another box came, and that was fish heads. <laughs> so I, I knew right away that that was just the kind of thing I was looking for. Yeah. Put it on the air, and the audience agreed. It became very popular right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the same year, by the way, that uh, Dead Puppies came in. That's another another classic. <laughs> now they, that group uh, from Omaha originally, they had they had already made an LP, so they sent their whole LP in the mail, and it had Dead Puppies on it. So they were a little far along, a little further along in their uh, musical career than Barnes and Barnes were. Mm -hmm. uh, now the whole album that they had a um, novelty, or was that uh, just it was a... all of was all of funny stuff and it was or another yeah uh, dead puppies was certainly the key cut but there were there were others but, but i mean ogden edsel made the over the years a, a number of other songs that were pretty big mm -hmm. one called kinko the clown yes <laughs> and uh daddy's money has been a good one for them but dead puppies is what they're known for oh yeah and, the, and then uh, getting back to barnes and barnes it was only after i played fish heads and it was starting to become popular uh, that again I wanted to, to meet them so uh, Bill Moomy well, before I knew it was Bill Moomy he just uh, sent me a letter signing at Art Barnes uh, and said uh, well why don't, why don't you come to my house and he told me where he lived in Laurel Canyon and uh, so I went and uh, I started noticing these lost in space memorabilia <laughs> And it was actually one of my helpers who was more of a Lost in Space fan than I was uh, yeah. really pointed that out. Uh, look at all this stuff. And and so I confronted him. Are, are you a part of this show? And he said, yes, I, I'm Bill Moomy. Hmm. But he, he'd, he'd managed to get the show, the song, onto my show and to have the song become popular without anybody knowing that. And having told me who he was and uh, Robert Hamer was there too the, the other half of Barnes and Barnes yeah. they swore me to secrecy because Bill was also trying to launch a more serious pop music career uh -huh. and he was afraid that he, if he was known for fish heads uh, that that would uh, impede his career doing regular pop music yeah I can understand that well he still does uh, serious pop music yeah. and has had limited success with that it's, some of it's very good Mm -hmm. uh, he's a great guitar player. Yeah, yeah, I've heard some of his stuff. Uh, but uh, eventually he kind of fessed up to being Barnes and Barnes and went public with it. Hmm. Now, have you played some of his newer stuff that he's got out, uh, the novelty stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, so they're working on a, a new album right now. I'm uh, anxiously awaiting uh, for them to send it. Uh, from Barnes and Barnes? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they've we, they've been working on new stuff uh, on and off over the past uh, six nine months or so. Yeah, 
Because I heard on his website a, a new, uh, well, a Christmas song that he had out just recently about Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. And that was funny. Right. <laughs> so the top 25, did that start out right at the beginning of the, your show? or well, you know? My original show, on, when, when I went to KMET uh, from 1972 to 83, I did a separate show for KMET. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the syndicated show didn't start till 74, so from 72... Two years before that to 83 i did this separate four-hour live show every sunday night for kmet yeah and so the first countdown i did was a top 50 mm-hmm. so i could get 50 songs in four hours yeah and then uh it was decided when the syndication started that two hours would uh, probably get on more stations than four hours would so that kind of established the syndicated show as being a two-hour show which it has been ever since so I had to cut the funny 50 in half and make it the funny 25. Ah, I see, yeah. But, yeah, the countdown goes back almost to the very beginning of the show. Yeah, in some form, yeah. Right. I also noticed that you've done some voice work for some animated shows. Oh, yeah, The Simpsons. Yeah. I'm on a, a Simpsons episode that they uh, rerun every so often. And uh, uh, Bobby's World? Bobby's World, yes. Yeah? yeah those those are, are pretty much it for my... Uh, animated voice work I, I certainly wouldn't mind doing more but, but those two are my resume in that field right now yeah pretty neat now in um, 2005 I understand you were inducted into the comedy music hall of fame oh yeah it was established by a, a, a young fellow who promotes local comedy concerts uh-huh. yeah and uh, at least he was doing it then he hasn't done any for a while but, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, for three or four years uh, the Hall of Fame would be part of the comedy concerts that he put together, and it would kind of be promoted as as the reason for the for the concert's existence and as a way of drawing people to come and perform. Ah. Where I was installed into the Hall of Fame uh, is also the uh, the last known live performance by Barnes and Barnes. Oh, really? You know, in all their years, they've probably only appeared on stage maybe a half dozen times. Ah. Strictly a studio thing. Yeah. Now you've had oh, quite a few albums come out. Yeah. I have the 20th anniversary collection. Which... All right. 20th, 25th, and 30th. Yeah. They're albums for Rhino, and also the Demento Society, our fan club, puts out a new CD every year. Oh, really? Yeah. We're up to. We're working on volume 17 right now. Now, if somebody wanted to get involved with your Demento. Where would they go to get information about that? DrDemento.com, mm-hmm. D-R-D-E-M-E-N-T-O.com. That has all the information. It's right there on the homepage. Yeah. Or uh, they can also write to me, uh, and if, if they want to send me a CD or something, uh, this would be the way to do it. Uh, uh, Dr. Demento, excuse me, uh, P.O. Box 884. In, uh, in Culver City, California, 90232. Okay, so if anybody has started off Weird Al Yankovic, they could send it to you and get going on that? Yeah, P.O. Box 884, Culver City, 90232, or Mm-hmm. Now, on your website, there's a lot of interesting things there that I noticed. You've got you know, people can actually listen to your shows in case they don't have it in their area now? Yeah, that's true. So uh, we put a new show up every Monday. Uh, it, it airs Sunday night on the radio stations that we have, and then uh, the next morning they can hear it online. Mm-hmm. And they stay online indefinitely, 
Yeah. And we have a, a growing library that now has uh, over 350 shows. Wow. Including a, a few from the very early years, hmm. uh, even before I was syndicated. Uh, but uh, the majority of them are from the last uh, five, ten years. Yeah. So people can get that at drdemento.com. Right. And we do, uh, just just to get this straight, we do charge a, a nominal fee because we're legit and we have to pay royalties to, mm-hmm. to yeah. the record companies and to the uh, performing rights organizations, ASCAP and BMI. Now, why is it, you know, I know in our area the, the radio stations used to carry, but they don't now. Is there some reason, I mean, I realize they decide what's on, but is there any other reasons for that? Well, uh, my show doesn't really fall into one of the easily defined formats. Mm-hmm. That's what was so good about it. <laughs> yeah, right. But that has become a, a blessing and a curse. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people love it because of the variety. Mm-hmm. But uh, stations, you know, and at the time that I started, there were top 40 stations and rock stations and oldie stations. Right. And aside from country and... Uh, what was called urban, there, there, aren't, there weren't that many different formats. Now they're kind of micro-formats and niche formats. Yeah. Because rather than just being a rock station, stations have found it more profitable to concentrate on a certain segment of the rock audience. Mm-hmm. They're, they're either active rock, which uh, appeals to younger males, or they're classic rock, or they're mainstream rock. Yeah. Sorts of little uh, gradations of it. Yeah. And, uh, the reason for that is to make it easier for them to sell ads and for advertisers to to be told that their ads will reach the particular type of customer they're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. But that was the thing about your show. When I was playing it back way back when, it was on an, uh, at back then it was an alternative rock station. Right. And uh, but everybody enjoyed it. It wasn't your typical music. Uh, that you heard on the station, but it was always a fun show to listen to. Well, thanks. It's still fun to do. Yes, I'm sure it is. I, I got a feeling that it, a lot of it has to do with the corporate takeover. Of, I mean, oh, it does. every yeah. station in the country now is owned by what? Two or three corporates. So. Well, there's there's two giant ones, and about a dozen pretty big ones. Yeah. yeah. When I started, uh, every owner could only have seven FMs and seven AMs. Right. So that that has been relaxed over a long period of time. They've relaxed it a little more every year, it seemed. Yeah, yeah. And then everything sounds the same now, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) That has helped with homogenization. Yeah, that's too bad. I mean, I've actually heard radio executives say, well, everybody likes to eat at McDonald's, so why shouldn't all radio stations across the country play the same music? Yeah. Within a given format. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's a shame, but uh, yeah. people can enjoy your show by going to your website, so that's that's even better because now it, it's worldwide that anybody right. can enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have a, a number of listeners in, in other places around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing with our show is uh, we get a lot of people hits from China and Brazil and Ireland and, and everything, and you know now they can go and get your show and enjoy it and find out what's What's really good? <laughs> the other thing about your CDs, are your CDs available only in stores, or are they available at your website? Well, at the website, yeah, we have uh, the Rhino compilations, like the 20th anniversary CD and the two Christmas CDs and the, the others. They're all available from our website, as well as other retail channels. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, what we call the basement tapes, which are really CDs. Uh, we do a new one every year, and they're only available 
at our website or or by mail at PO Box eight eight four. But they're only available from us. Yeah. And uh, every year our membership package includes the latest one of those CDs, uh, plus other stuff like a bumper sticker and a a photo button and a membership card and uh, a, a photo, a eight, eight by ten glossy uh, of me that I will personally sign to everybody who's a member. Hmm. Yeah. So, it, so it's uh, to Brian, stay demented. <laughs> Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, a lot of people will uh, go over to your site now and uh, from our site and get to yours. And what what I'll do is I'll also so everybody knows that's listening that we will be posting a uh, link to Dr. Demento's site. I sure appreciate that. No problem. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. All right, Brian. Um, but uh, I have one more question for okay. you. Okay. Okay. And now you've probably been asked this millions of times. But of all the songs you've played, what is Dr. Demento's favorite novelty song? Well, it would be something new, because novelty is newness. Mm-hmm. So uh, it would be uh, something new, like uh, there's, there's one called uh, Save Me Obama, that's uh, probably our most popular song right now, uh-huh. to the tune of Lady Madonna. Yeah. And uh, so I really enjoy hearing that. I mean, I love Fish Heads, too, but I've heard it so many times. <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> yes, but that's, uh, you know, just like uh, a, a band that has had hits through its career, will usually play at least some of the old hits to uh, when they do a concert. So I realized that Fish Heads, even though it might not be the last thing I play before I go to bed every night, uh, it's, it's still something that's very valuable to my career, and when I do a personal appearance, it always gets played, especially mm-hmm. if I have a video screen to show it on. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, but uh, I, lis- I still listen to lots of other kinds of music, too. Yeah. So uh, on my iPod, there's... Uh, Lots of old blues and country music, a certain amount of rock and roll, some some of the 80s, 90s, and 00s, uh, newer rock things. Yeah, yeah. so you're not demented all the time. <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> there, there's, and, and lots of older stuff, pre-World War II, I still have lots of 78s. That was kind of the main thing that I collected for years, and uh, still if I... A, a bunch of old records, I'll usually look at the 78s first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing that you have so many records. Well, Dr. Demento, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, uh, and I want to remind everybody to go to drdemento.com, become a member of the Society, and uh, check out his CDs, check out uh, uh, the latest show, and have fun with it. All right. So, thank you. Why, sure. Stay demented. Well, we really want to thank Dr. Demento for joining us because he was a great guest. Hope you enjoyed that interview. And uh, we have more coming your way because the next interview you do not want to miss. I I can't stress enough this one. If you are a fan of uh, movies and TV, early TV, you are going to want to listen to this guest that's coming up next week. All right? Because uh, we had a chance to talk with this guy. And uh, it was a nice long interview. He talked about uh, movies he was in, and he talks about the TV show he was famous for, and a couple of things he was doing, and uh, some other projects he's working on now. And uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but keep looking at the website, because we'll give you little clues as we lead up to the next edition of On Screen and Beyond. And uh, we hope you can uh, listen to that and maybe figure out who it is, 
But it's coming up next week right here on On Screen and Beyond. Until then, this is Brian saying take care. Thank you.